Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, hey guys, it's another Sunday night. It's time for another episode of the Brain Love Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Delvina Thomas, a board-certified psychiatrist in South Florida. And tonight we're talking self-care. I actually wanted to talk about a couple of other things, but for those of you who don't know, tonight and last night was the Saturday and Sunday night for Jazz in the Gardens. So Jazz in the Gardens is a... um, basically a two-day music festival that happens in Miami Gardens, formerly known as Carroll City. And um, so, you know, it was a little busy this weekend, no excuse. But um, I wanted to share with you some self-care tips. So this is Self-Care Sunday. And what you're about to hear is an interview that I did with another doctor. And... um, We're talking self-care. It's myself, another mental health professional, and the doctor who's hosting this show that I was a guest on is um, an emergency room doctor. She's an ER doctor, and she'll introduce herself. And um, in the beginning, we're actually talking about COVID-19, so this is actually a great episode to get some COVID-19 tips and updates. Excellent episode for that. She and her... um, Our co-hosts, they talk about a lot of the myths that have been passed back and forth about the coronavirus 19, the vaccinations and, you know, different things, different topics related to that. And then in part two of this episode, we go into self-care. And it's a really good episode because it's me as the the woman guest and there's a male guest as well, a man. Um, He's also a mental health professional. He's in Maryland. See how small the world is? He is in Maryland. And um, and he has a group for men. So listen to him because this may be a group that you may want your spouse or your brother or your son to be a part of. And with everything being virtual these days, I'm sure it's possible for you to participate virtually. So guys, this is Excuse Me Doctor. And the host is Melissa Clark, Dr. Melissa Clark. And um, we're just going to get right into it. I'm on the couch with Melissa Clark. She is the host, and there is another guest on the couch with us. And I want you to join us on the couch as we discuss coronavirus 19 updates current day, as well as self-care and why it's important. So please, guys, are you ready to take the couch? Welcome, 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 you all, back to another episode of Excuse Me, Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My name is Dr. Melissa Clark. Please call me Dr. Mel, and I am delighted to be your host. You know, we are here every week doing what we do right here at Excuse Me, Doctor, making sure that you have the information you need to make wise health decisions. We're every week on Sirius Channel XM 141 HUR Voices, and of course, We're streaming on YouTube and Facebook, taking questions live. Now, if you're newbies to the show on those platforms, please hit us on Dr. Melissa Clark at Facebook, 
Facebook and hit us with a like. And uh, if you're on YouTube, Dr. Melissa Clark, please hit that red subscribe button. Really appreciate you for that. And remember, put those questions in the chat because it's first come, first serve, right? And of course, if you're on Sirius XM channel 141 HUR Voices, keep that dial locked. So now let's get in to creating an amazing week for ourselves with all the health topics we're going to cover today. And in order to do that, you know who I need to bring in, right? None other than the wonderful Miss Lila Mays and the fantastic Mr. Wayne Bruce. Howdy. What's going hey, on? Hey. Happy Valentine's Day, Dr. Mill. Happy Valentine's Day, La. Yep. Happy Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Hey. So, yeah, Valentine's Day. What are we going to talk and, about tonight, Dr. Mill? Well, yeah, we are going to be talking today about the celebration of love, but really a celebration of self-love because there are so many different kinds of love, but they all start off with self-love. So no, tonight we're going to talk about how to overcome some of the blockages and challenges that we have to loving ourselves. We're going to look specifically at therapy and we have two fantastic guests who are waiting in the wings to walk us through that. So I'm really excited about today's show. Me too. I'm, I'm excited. You got to love yourself. You got to be able to love yourself before you can yeah. love other people. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So share, share, and share again with anybody who you know who's thinking about therapy or struggles with self-love you know that could take the form of self-sabotage poor confidence somebody whose picker seems like it's off you know what i mean pick by picker like picking people <laughs> oh so i was like there the with all of those folks. <laughs> but you were talking about the nose <laughs> no no <laughs> no yeah, so, yeah we know people who always pick the wrong people right so share it with all those folks and you know, get your questions. Like I said, get your questions lined up because we're going to be taking them with our fantastic guests as soon as we get to that. But mm -hmm. right now we got something else going on, right? You know what time it is. It's time for the recap. All right. There we go. It's the week that was. <laughs> All right. So, yo, we normally start off with the numbers and we're going to do that tonight. So we're talking about COVID cases have definitely surpassed 77 million. They're probably way past that because we're, nobody's, you know, people aren't testing as much because mm -hmm. COVID is mild to almost no symptoms and many, many more people now. But um, the case numbers are continuing to trend down, which is good. Just as fast okay. as Omicron blew in, it's, it's, it's on its way down. Right. And um, exactly a month ago now, we were looking at over, 900,000 cases a day. So now we've dropped below 200,000 cases a day, which was, we're right around the peak of where we were with Delta, right? Even though we're on a downward trend. So we still have a lot of cases a day. Um, right. And um, hospitalizations have decreased um, and deaths finally have started to go down. Unfortunately, we've wow. surpassed 922 thousand deaths um but wow. the 
Yeah, I know. It's just, it's staggering. It's hard to really wrap your head around that. And it's also equally hard to wrap your head around the fact that over 2,000 people a day are still dying. That so, is unbelievable. wild. It really it is. is. It is. It really and that is. Whole, yeah, the whole thing about Omicron is milder than Delta. That might be, but because it was so much more infectious, mm-hmm. the death rate from Omicron, the daily death rate is exceeding and has exceeded the death rate from Delta. Really? Wow. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So the the other thing I just want to mention here too is we haven't mentioned this in a long time, but people should know that if they've had a loved one who died from COVID-19, they are eligible to get reimbursed up to $9,000 in funeral expenses. You must have a death certificate that lists COVID-19 as the cause of death though. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some paperwork, supporting paperwork that has to be submitted, but don't forget that that's something that might be able to help you out, um, you know, in, in your time of loss, unfortunately. Great to know. Really, really, really good to know. Um, so we're still talking about the numbers because it's important. So we can't talk about the numbers without talking about Vax facts. That's right. <laughs> so where are we with vaccinations, Dr. Mill? Yeah, so we've surpassed 252 million vaccinations that represents about 68.4 percent of the people who are eligible so that's everybody over five and Mm -hmm. uh, again shout out to the 65 year olds um 65 percent of them are now boosted so they've not only gotten their first two shots but they got the booster um and just you know something that was actually pointed out to me by dr cam webb who um works with health equity and vaccines in the White House. He mentioned that whites account for 66% of the people who are unvaccinated. They only, whites represent only 61% of the population. So they're disproportionately represented in the numbers of people who are unvaccinated. So I would like to encourage our white brothers and sisters to get vaccinated. Um, And because those who aren't are putting themselves in harm's way as well as others with whom they interact. So I know we focus a lot on, on, you know, black people and other minorities, but we specifically need to also say that white people need to get vaccinated too, because we are all in this together. That's, you know, the nature of a pandemic is you can't get out of it unless everybody is Committed. has their paddles in the water, yep, and are and are rowing in the same direction. Yes. Right. Indeed. Amen. So um speaking of COVID, the four factors that might increase your COVID risk. What are they, Dr. Mill? So this is like hot off the, the press uh research that's come out. It looks like and, and we're specifically talking about your risk for severe COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So they looked at people who had severe COVID and the things they had in common were these four things. The first is high levels of virus. So early early on in the infection um, specifically. Um, and, And that actually might be why vaccinated people are at lower risk for getting severe COVID because you have antibodies at the ready that prevent the virus 
from rapidly multiplying in your system. And so that would prevent you from progressing on to severe COVID. The other thing is autoantibodies. So it looks like those people who go on to develop severe COVID develop autoantibodies. Now, what are those? Those are antibodies that mistakenly start to attack your own body. And so we see that in conditions like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. So the presence of high, high levels of autoantibodies in your system correlates with moving on to severe COVID. The third is reactivation of, of, of Epstein-Barr virus. Now, there's certain viruses, especially those in the herpes virus family, of which Epstein-Barr virus is one of those, that they, when they infect you, they never really leave. They just kind of go into hibernation. Mm-hmm. So they're seeing that people who have a reactivation of the, these, this Epstein-Barr virus that's just kind of hanging out but asleep in you, Um, When you get COVID, if it reactivates, that seems to also cause people to get severe COVID. And finally, those people who have type 2 diabetes, that also seems to be something that correlates with people getting severe COVID, which we already do. And researchers just haven't gone on to focus on the other diseases. So, you know, other underlying conditions that we've talked about um, certainly correlate with going on to get more severe COVID. Okay. So for as long as we've been talking about COVID, uh, vitamin D uh, has come up. So let's talk about that, Dr. Mill. Yeah. So there was a new study out of Israel that showed that half of the people who were vitamin D deficient before Mm -hmm. they got COVID Mm -hmm. went on to develop severe illness. Wow. And that's compared to less than 10% of the people who had normal levels of vitamin D going on to develop severe COVID. So we know that vitamin D comes from direct sunlight on the skin. People who are melanated, more melanated, have a harder time absorbing vitamin D, so have to stay out in the sun longer to get the same effect. But you can also get it from foods like fatty fish, mushrooms, egg yolks, for example. and the findings of this study suggest that vitamin D help to, helps to bolster the immune system to deal with respiratory viruses. But keep in mind that, as I was explaining before about the factors that make you go on to develop severe COVID, vitamin D and a low level of it is only one part of a you know more complex picture. There are other things that go into it. So you know certainly. Focus on your vitamin D level with your doctor, get your levels checked, get them monitored, get on a, you know, if you need a supplement or you're going to get it from diet, however you're going to do it, monitor those levels over time to make sure that they stay in the therapeutic range. Um, But make that one of your focuses, but don't assume that it substitutes for the other things like getting vaccinated, physical distancing, wearing your mask, et cetera. Okay. Okay. All right. So, February is Heart Health Month. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Generally correct, because I'm like that. I'm smart like that. So, (laughs) got that one right. Yep. What are the three signs that you must get your heart checked up? Yeah. So, you know, we've been putting off a lot of health care during this pandemic, and we know some of the obvious signs that we might have a problem with our heart, like, you know, chest pain upper back pain, jaw pain that's new and unexplained. 
uh, new windedness, you know, shortness of breath, uh, lightheadedness or palpitations, you know, if any of those things happen, you know, we pretty much know those are, those are things that should trigger us to go get checked out. However, um, some less, more subtle things might include if you're not able to do things with ease that you used to, and they're leaving you more winded. So I read an article about a woman who's 43 who feels like she's 80 because she can't carry her son up the driveway anymore. That's a sign of you might need to go get checked out. So things that you used to be able to do easily that you can't anymore. Um, your blood pressure is increasing, especially if you're already on medication. So we know that our goal blood pressure is about 120 over 80. Um, and so if we see that creeping up over time, that's a sign that you need to go get your blood pressure checked. And then finally, I'm sorry, your blood pressure and your, your heart health checked. And then finally, your resting heart rate is increasing. So, you know, our heart rate is a measure of how hard our heart has to pump to get blood around the body. And it changes whether you're, you know, reading a book or exercising or laying in bed or standing. Um, our normal resting heart rate rate is between 60 to 100, but the lower you are means the more fit you are. So if over time, you know, you were in the 50s, now you're in the 60s, now you're in the high 70s, and now your your resting heart rate is in the 80s. If you're seeing those changes happen over time, again, that's a time to go get your uh, heart health checked up. Cool. That's good to know. I mean, I'm quite sure Lila's is in the 30th. So. <laughs> well, I had my heart check this morning. Did you? <laughs> so, there you that's go. See, that's self-love. That's loving yourself, Lila. Right. That is loving and yourself. So, yep. so most, a lot of, I know a lot of our, our friends and a lot of my friends and even I uh, have parents and loved ones who have dementia. Uh, and now it's some studies linking with dementia and with its links to blood pressure medications? Right. And I don't want that headline to be misleading. Right. There's nothing that shows that blood pressure medicines cause dementia. Actually, it's the opposite. It seems like there's certain blood pressure medicines that are associated with lower rates of dementia in later years. And the ones that are associated with the lower risk of dementia are, there's something called angiotensin II receptor blocker blockers are ARBs um, as compared to ACE inhibitors or beta blockers. Um, Now, I don't expect everybody to remember that those technicalities, the take home point is the ACE inhibitors and the beta blockers do have specific uses, right? So I don't want anybody to ask their doctor and find out, oh, I'm on an ACE inhibitor, I'm on a beta blocker. Oh, you know, take me off of it. The more important thing is to have the conversation with your doctor, mention that you heard there are certain blood pressure medicines that cause a, you know, are associated with a lower risk of dementia down the line, and just have a conversation with your doctor about what kind you're on and what's best suited for, your, for whatever you're being treated for. So just okay. to bring the, the topic up with your doctor. So mm-hmm. don't play doctor yourself and be like, I'm more, I read my medication is, is an ACE right. inhibitor. Don't right, doctor. exactly. Because there might be a specific reason that you were prescribed that because it is good for certain things. Okay. All right. 
Friday. Yep. Okay, so you do know what time it is. Uh, what time is it now? Time to check my watch. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's time for the the weekly debunk. Stopping misinformation in this track. So this week, uh, Tanisha Twitterfingers. Well, it's her cousin this week, right? Tanisha Straight. Tiffany Twitterfingers said, "I'm Tiffany. just going to take get. I, I'm just going to get a fake vaccine card." For my son so he can go to school. I'm not trying to get him vaccinated for real. Children don't even get real sick from COVID. You had to hit Tiffany back like this. Uh, I don't know about that. Excuse me, Dr. Mel, is that true? Well, this is a deal. Um, You know, children do get much milder symptoms from COVID on average than adults. But since children can become infected and transmit the virus, um, being vaccinated means they're less likely to be sources of spread of the COVID virus. But then there's also a reason for children themselves, for their own health to be vaccinated. Um, We know, of course, that children, of course, die at a much lower rate than adults, but death is not the only thing that we you know, the negative outcome from COVID. There's also long COVID and there's also the multi-system inflammatory syndrome or MISC in children where the children get very sick. And this is like, you know, a couple weeks after the initial infection, which could be mild or no symptoms at all. And then they have severe inflammation um, a couple weeks later. And so we also want to avoid our children getting this. And the bottom line is we don't really know the long-term effects of a COVID infection. So who wants to impose that on a child who has a developing um, uh, cardiovascular system, developing uh, neurologic system? You know, I wouldn't play uh, fast and loose with my child potentially getting COVID. And then, you know, there's also the concern many parents have heard heard about myocarditis or that heart inflammation. But the bottom line is this with with myocarditis, it's still very rare. So among 100,000 vaccinated adolescent males, which is where myocarditis is seen most often, seven would be expected to develop myocarditis after the vaccine. But if they weren't vaccinated, that same group, more than 5,500 of them would get COVID over a period of three months, which would result in on average 50 hospitalizations, potential for the MISC that I talked about, myocarditis from COVID and possibly death. So it's much more safe to get vaccinated than to not get vaccinated. And we know that during the Omicron variant, hospitalizations were about 850 hospitalizations a day among children under 17. So um, the other thing to keep in mind is that 75% of those um, kids getting hospitalized are black and brown children. So the people who are encouraging avoiding vaccinations for children aren't acknowledging this fact, this disproportionate effect of COVID and severe COVID among children of color, making it seem like all kids have the same outcomes. And that's just simply not true. Wow. All right. And that's good to know. Yep. Well, 
Thank you, Lila and Wayne, as always, uh, for walking us through our debunk and our recap. Uh, I'm going to see you very shortly, but we are going to move right on into our show for tonight. And we've talked about the fact that we are celebrating love today on Excuse Me, Doctor, by talking about self-love and how to get to the point of healing those blockages that prevent us from doing what I call treating ourselves as if we're a child left in our own care, right? Because we know that self-love is the greatest love of all. I mean, Whitney Houston told us that, right? Um, And so it's the foundation of any relationship or relationships that we have. So guys, this is part two to Excuse Me Doctor. Um, You just heard all of the myths and um, the updates regarding COVID-19. Now we're going to get into self-care. So don't go anywhere. Stick around. We go into a lot of details about mental health and wellness. We talk about all the different categories of mental health professionals. We talk about ways to decompress. We talk about depression amongst men and, you know, anxiety. And we talk about so many things. So please don't leave your couch. Come back with us as we have part two of this discussion of Excuse Me, Doctor, with the host, Dr. Michelle Clark, emergency room physician in the DMV area. So to walk us through this topic, we at Excuse Me, Doctor, are fortunate and blessed to have two fantastic guests tonight. Our first is Dr. Delvina Thomas. She's a veteran. She's an author. But most importantly, she's a physician who is board certified in both psychiatry and neurology. She's a tireless advocate for ending the stigma surrounding mental health, especially in underserved communities. And she's regularly appearing on multiple media, television, um, talk shows, radio shows. So we're really fortunate and blessed to have us here, have her here with us tonight. Hi, Dr. Delvina, how are you? Hi, I'm very well. Thank you for having me tonight. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. And we have with you Mr. Mark Harrison, who also happens to be a veteran. Um, And he was recently appointed to be Chief Executive Officer of Prince George's County, Maryland Department of Homeland Security. But he is here with us tonight because he's a constant advocate for mental health, especially for African-American men, and is founder of the program called Saving Our Kings. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good evening, Dr. Mel. How are you? I'm doing great, doing great, and glad to have you back because you are a friend of the show. So thanks for coming back. Thank you. Thank you. And happy Valentine's Day to both of you ladies also. Well, thank you. And same to you. Thank you. (laughs) So I want to start off with a question to both of you and Dr. Delvina. Maybe you can answer first. Can you start off by defining self-love for us? Ooh, self-love is, there's so many layers to self-love. Self-love first starts with, I believe, self-confidence. Self-confidence and self-awareness of who who you are. Self-awareness means you acknowledge what you're good at and what you need help with, what you could do better. Because oftentimes people struggle in acknowledging what they struggle with, or they struggle with acknowledging what they don't know. 
Um, and it's important to be able to acknowledge all of those things because it will prevent you from allowing yourself to be caught up in some sort of problem or a conundrum because you're not self-aware. So self-love includes self-awareness, self-confidence, self-esteem. And it also just includes the fact that you acknowledge that your brain is the, the strongest part of your body. Um, there's a, a, a term that I coined called brain love. And so self-love is being able to embrace brain love and know that you have to take care of your brain. You have to take care of yourself. And so I would just start with those things first, the self-confidence, the self-awareness, the self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Just you, to you start mentioned, with. Yeah, you mentioned the brain is the strongest part of our body. Can you elaborate on that? Well, without your brain, you can't do anything. Your brain controls everything that you do. It controls our blinking, our talking, our emotions, our walking, the way we react to someone, how fast we react to someone, how slowly we react to a situation. Um, everything is controlled by the brain. Loving someone is really controlled by the, by the brain, although some people allow other parts of the body to take over and tell you whether you should love someone or not. But the brain is really what you should rely on when you're making those types of decisions. So without your brain, we have nothing because everything gets coordinated up here. Everything gets coordinated in this control center is what I call it. Got it. Got it. So, so Mark, um, talk to, talk to us about self-love. What do you think of when you think of self-love? Um, actually, this is an interesting topic. I was actually just talking to my therapist about self-love today um, and come to find out I thought I loved myself and loved everybody else. Well, all actuality, I was self-sabotaging myself. It goes mm -hmm. back to my pattern, what I was thinking, what I was doing. So talking to her a little bit more in depth, she told me to break it down by three different components. One being behavior, emotions, and your thoughts. And it kind of goes back to what Dr. Delvina said. My emotions was basically, I need to learn how to forgive myself. That self-forgiveness, made a world of difference. My behavior, I had to learn how to ask for help, practice self-care. I wasn't doing any of that. And how it really impacted my friendships, even my working relationships, and then my thoughts. What am I thinking about? Do my thoughts become my actions? And learning how to really turn it around to make it more positive for everything and everybody around me. So self-love is just really diving in. You know, your brain, as Dr. Davina said, your brain controls everything. And for me, the self-sabotage because the lack of therapy that I wasn't getting, the lack of awareness, it was everything. So self-love today, it really came out. Here I am 50 years old and really now understanding what true self-love actually is and what it means. Wow, that's beautiful. And I'm, I'm sure it has been a journey. And I love that you mentioned the, the self-forgiveness up front. W what do you think are some of the greatest obstacles that we face to self-love? Um, that, that's a... That's, that's a good, 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 good question. Um, one, we don't know how to self-love. We don't even know what it is because we're not taught that. You know, um, especially men, we are taught to be the warriors, the go-getters, don't show emotions, fight for everything that you want, you know, love. 
you know, if we tell a woman that we love her nine times out of 10, we don't even know what it is. It's just something easy for us to say. So loving somebody else may be a phrase that we use, but oh, actually, we don't even love ourselves. And most of the time, we don't even know how to love ourselves because as men, we're not even taught that. We're taught to fight and be the provider, not to love and show emotion. Wow, that's fascinating. So you you mentioned romantic love. Dr. Delvina, how how do you think or, or, or how have you seen in your practice that the lack of self-love can lead to difficulty forming relationships or sustaining relationships? So first I would start by answering the question that you just asked, Mark, and that's what impedes self-love? Self-love is impeded by feeling like you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. There are people Mm -hmm. who don't love themselves because they feel like they don't deserve to be loved. They don't Mm -hmm. deserve to be loved by others. They don't deserve to be loved by themselves. And they never learned how to love themselves because they they weren't taught that in their household. And so, um, you know, in certain socioeconomic statuses, certain things are not considered priority. Self-love is probably rarely talked about in certain households. Um, And so if you grow up in a household where your mother and or your father or your parents or your guardian, your grandparent, your aunt, your uncle don't talk about loving yourself and why it's important and why we have to take care of ourselves and treat our bodies as temples, for some Black folk, church has has become very important for them. It's integral and it has at least taught that part, that piece of it. And that is your body is a temple. You treat your body such as a temple. You take care of yourself. So self-love for some people can stem first from the church, from religion, but people who don't have that in their life, if they don't have a replacement, then they don't learn how to love themselves. Um, The other roadblocks to self-love are past relationships past romantic relationships, especially um, if you've been in abusive relationships, if you've been in relationships where they weren't healthy for you, they were toxic for you. um, It was a relationship that teared you down and made you feel worse, that berated you, that stands in the way of learning self-love. And so those are some of the main things, you know, our childhood, our experiences with personal relationships, and just simply not knowing how to love yourself. And so if you don't know how to love you, how do you expect another person to embrace you and love you? Because you don't even love yourself. And when you don't love yourself, you will stand and you will fall for anything. You will allow a person to do anything to you. And that's not just in a personal, intimate relationship. That's on the job. That's with friends. That's with family. When you're self-confident and you're self-aware and you love who you are, when someone talks to you a certain way, you're not, you're not for it. You're not having that. You're going to check them. You can check them professionally, but you're going to check them and you're going to set those limits and those boundaries. Right, right. And I think even how you respond to them might even indicate your level of self-love. Like you said, you might respond to them professionally as opposed to violently, right? Exactly. Exactly. Hey, I, I have a question for Dr. Delvina. Um, and I'm going to use me as an example. The first time I ever heard somebody say that they love me, I was 21 years old. Mm. And it did, Ouch. And it, well, I'm not done. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. And it didn't come from my parents. It came from yes. my home. It came from my home. Place. 
And I can remember on my hand how many times my parents have said, I love you, son. And it's less than five. So that's where that whole self-sabotage came in for me. I was in the streets yeah. trying to find love. Um, I would gravitate toward my towards my friend's parents because I saw the love and the cohesiveness in the house. And then I had to realize, though, what, what is going on? And I can remember saying to my parents one day, one of my siblings, when is the last time you told her that you loved her? Well, I didn't grow up like that, so I don't say that. Then right. I look at the effects that it has on my siblings also. And I think, you know, I think you bring up an excellent, you bring up an excellent point because I was exactly where I was going to go, which was parenting, which I know, Dr. Delvina, you mentioned, Mm -hmm. if you could, you know, wrap in um, your answer to what Mark was saying, but also talk about, you know, what are the roots of the parent not saying I love you? And then how does that Mm. get perpetuated on generationally? Oh my God. And the black community, it's so profound. It's post-slave syndrome. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some professionals who don't believe in such a thing. They feel like slavery is over. Um, Jim Crow has ended. You know, um, we should get over it. These things are not long lasting. We're past that point. Whereas really, there's a lot of trauma that has been passed from generation to generation that began in 1619. You know, you go to a country and you kidnap people, you take them away from their culture and what they knew, and you bring them to a new place. They don't know the language. They don't know anything. And you force a certain religion down their throats. And so, and you don't allow families to form. You don't Mm -hmm. allow people to maintain families because you're too busy treating them like property. You're too busy stealing their children. You're too busy raping the women. You're too busy raping the men. And so, you know, a lot of these things go back to the trauma that we as Black folks experienced from slavery. And, and what I wanted to ask you, Mark, is what year were your parents born, if you don't mind? Uh, 40s, 50s. Um, my mom had me when she was 17 years old. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you think about it, slavery ended officially in 1865. 1865. And so for certain folks, their great grandparents, their grandparents, they're just one generation removed from the ending of slavery. My parents grew up during the civil rights era. My parents are originally from Mississippi. I know I'm a descendant of black gold. And so for black folks, we didn't learn how to say some of us and some of the households, we didn't learn to say, I love we, I love you. We didn't grow up with that. So we weren't able to teach that to our children. But the good thing about what you're doing, Mark, is you're acknowledging that those things were lacking for you growing up. And so I'm sure moving forward, that's something you'll pass on to your lineage, to your legacy. You're bringing it up for your, your siblings to acknowledge it as well with their parents. And so to answer your question, Doc, we have to basically break these cycles. We have to break these uh, generational curses. Right. And and I, I'm glad you brought that up and, and mentioned those things, because one of the other things I wanted to add on to what you said, too, is think about the trauma of being separated and knowing at any time you could be separated from your family. How do you, um, what sort of defenses do you have to form emotionally to mm. be able to survive that it would seem like one of the things you would do is wall off your emotions and not tell people that you love them and de-emphasize that because you know at any moment 
you know, whatever your, your, your marriage, your relationship with your children, your parents could be destroyed at any minute. So, um, and that brings me to what is therapy and how can it help to address some of the issues that we've been talking about? Dr. Delvina, <laughs> if you could start. So therapy is being your authentic self. It's going into a room with a professional therapy. You ain't having therapy when you sit with your girls or with your boys and you guys are just, you know, chopping it up, talking about stuff. That's not therapy. So when I ask patients, how do you, what is your support system? How do you deal with stress? Oh, I talk to my friends and, you know, they're very helpful. And, and so I give them the, the notion of, hey, have you considered psychotherapy? because this is a person who's trained to conduct a dialogue with you in such a way that it's enlightening, it becomes insightful, and it helps you to find your own path to your own solutions. Therapy is not telling you what to do. Therapy mm -hmm. is not teaching you what to do. Therapy is not, uh, it's not a dictatorship. It's not someone telling you this is what you'll do and this is how you'll do it. It's helping you to understand dynamics and things and understand yourself so that you can arrive at healthy decision-making. Therapy doesn't work, though, if you show up to that office and you're not authentic, if you're not honest, if you're not putting it all on the table. So when you go, when you decide to venture down that road, you have to be prepared to be vulnerable, to expose yourself. That's an excellent point. And Tell us about your work with with saving our kings, Mark. What are some of the what are, what are some of the things you do, and what are some of the obstacles that you hear brothers come up with in terms of maybe not wanting to pursue therapy? It's going to therapy for them has been a situation where it's the lack of vulnerability. And I've been telling them a true man who is vulnerable is a sense of masculinity themselves. So it's, it's been pretty good in that um, the, men, the men are talking about how to create a safe space. Without creating that safe space, they're never going to talk. And I'll share the story um, before, you know, and I've been kind of open about me going there. Um, but unfortunately, my therapist is down. And it took me years to find a therapist. I wanted to get to be a particular day. Um, Great. Once I start going, he creates that safe space. They will be wrong. And all of a sudden, he dies. You know what, Mark? I think we're we might be having some problems with your with your audio. For right now, I'm just gonna switch back to to Dr. Thomas and um, ask uh, when you go through therapy because this is Heart Health Month. I'm asking this question. Can it also have effects on your physical health as well? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Stress and anxiety can elevate blood pressure, can elevate what we call stress chemicals or stress hormones in the body. Those catecholamines um, can lead to other negative effects on the body, like elevating blood pressure, causing um, issues with certain organs. Stress and anxiety when your blood pressure it becomes so elevated can some folks have experienced heart attacks and strokes that happens a lot. Um, it's not just based on your diet, right? It's not just based on diet, but stress can also cause consequences um, for your heart health, as I said, with blood pressure, strokes, and heart attacks, but also can elevate your blood sugar. 
people who are very stressed. It can cause abnormalities for blood sugar and can lead to that things like diabetes. So going and seeking psychotherapy, something that's going to allow you to be calmer, to become more tranquil, that will teach you how to deal in a stressful situation, that will give you the coping skills to deal with stress, or you know, maybe you have some relationships that are off balance with your family members or with a good personal friend or a significant other. Learning how to deal with those things will likely reduce the chances of you feeling that built up stress, that pressure, which can then lead to the issues with, pardon me, the issues with your heart, the issues with your blood pressure, the issues with your organs, the issues, you know, with your, your blood sugar. So going to psychotherapy and just being able to unload everything and don't get me wrong. Psychotherapy doesn't always make people feel good. There are people that go to a session and they feel like I almost use uh, profanity. They feel like crap at the end of the <laughs> session because, you know, your therapist is just basically torn you down. And what we right. try to do is we try to build you back up, though. We right. don't want to like send you back the layers out. of onion. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, we, and we try to end the session um, with enough time so that we, we build you back up. We don't send you back out into the, the, the world torn and broken. So, mm -hmm. you know, but so, so psychotherapy won't always feel good. And when you're doing the work, it's not supposed to feel good all the time. When you're doing mm -hmm. the work, psychotherapy is work. Taking care of yourself is work. Living life is work. Life ain't easy. Right. It's almost like, you know, building muscle, right? <laughs> you get the burn yeah. while you're working out, but, you know, overall it makes you healthier. So I can't believe I have all these other questions for you, but it is time to bring our audience into the discussion. And yeah. so I'm going to ask, uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask Lila and Wayne to uh, come on back in and bring the audience wow. perspective and audience questions in. Great, great discussion. Great discussion. Lila. Indeed. Yeah, I have, I have several questions actually. So this one is a, a two-parter. I'll start with you, Dr. Uh, Delvina. Can you give us maybe three self-love practices? And then Ooh. Mark, I'd love to jump in there too. Wow. Um, so I want to use myself as a personal example. My self-love practices, number one for me, massages. I schedule a massage and I'm intentional about it because if you don't keep a running schedule, you will go yeah. three months and you haven't been touched. You haven't had your body touched. So I like to get my massages. I like to get my facials. So that's number one. For women, you know, a lot of us will go to the nail salon and go to the hair salon. That can be considered self-care, self-love. But that ain't really like self-love, going to get your hair styled, you know. Because oftentimes, especially in some of these black salons, it's a wait. <laughs> Unless you have a great stylist. So, you gonna, you know, you might have some stress going in the salon. And you wait two hours to get in the chair. Right. <laughs> yeah. But my number one self-love way to love on myself is to travel. I love to travel. Travel therapy is my way of, of giving myself self-love, treating myself to a nice trip, going to uh, a different place, to different surroundings. Traveling by myself is self-love because I just want to be on my own. I want to be in my own thoughts. I don't want to worry about other people. Um, and then, you know, 
other things just like walking and being out in fresh air, exercising, taking care of your body, taking interest in yourself and taking care of yourself. And the last thing I'll say is music therapy. That's my other way of taking care of myself because I just love music, jazz. I love it. All right. Mark, do you want to add anything onto that? Yeah, for me, um, my go-to is the gym. Um, Six days a week, I am in that gym just letting everything go, let the worries and the the troubles go. Something that I started probably a couple months ago was writing in a guided journal. Um, I have a journal that is so deep that sometimes I'd be like, whoa, I can't even answer this question today because it makes me want to go there. Um, but I love it. And it's weird with this journal. I'm telling all my boys about it. Yo, I need to send you this journal. Um, th- this journal is like that. And the crazy thing is written by a woman, but she is on point. She captures everything. And lastly, it- it's the music, but I also have an eight month old puppy that I love. You know, <laughs> you know we're okay. going to always say that. We're going to bring the puppy in. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, as much as he gets on my nerves, he brings me joy. You know, um, because he loves me unconditionally, regardless of what is is going on. If I'm having a bad day, he doesn't care. If it's a good day, he he doesn't care. Just him jumping in my lap changes everything for me that whole entire day. Wow, those are great answers. I just want to throw in there having a gratitude practice. Um, mm. You know, because a lot of times stress comes from feeling like you don't have the resources to meet whatever the issues are that's going on in your life. And when you stop and think about all the things that you do have, it can help just reduce stress and is an act of, of self-love. And then what you focus on expands, right? So Absolutely. having a gratitude practice yeah, is, is, is good for yeah, me. Yeah, well. I love that. Yeah, I'm gonna piggyback on that too. I'm gonna piggyback on that, Wayne, and just say one of my self-love practices is affirmations. And mm-hmm. even if I'm not feeling that thing that I'm saying, um, <laughs> you look beautiful today. <laughs> even if I'm not really feeling that thing, I say it anyway and get to a place where I receive it, believe it, and feel and feel it. So right. that's one of my practices. I think you have to believe yourself first. Yeah. Before anything else happens. Before you can question. believe anything else anybody else says, right? Right. We have, right. You have we, a question, Wayne? We have a question from uh, Yvonne Smith. What is broken heart syndrome? <laughs> Anybody? Uh, Dr. Delvina, would you like to take that one? Something someone made up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where does that even come from? Called, there is no clinical diagnosis called broken heart syndrome. You know, we just, so if, if she's referring to, and, and ma'am, I'm so sorry, or sir, I'm, I'm, I can't remember who you said, asked the it's question. Uh, Yvonne. It's, 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 Yvonne, okay. Yeah. Ma'am, please don't be offended by the laughter. Humor and laughter is the upper defense mechanism. We're just having a good time here. But seriously, broken heart syndrome is not a clinical term. Um, perhaps it's something I would think could occur after a breakup with someone you truly love or who you believe you love and you're trying to move on. When we break up in relationships, we go through grief. We go through bereavement. It's almost like someone has died, has passed away. I'm sure all of us can think about that one big old breakup we had and it felt like our heart was broken into little tiny pieces. 
I remember my son, when he had his first breakup, I told him, this is good. It gets easier from here. You need to get used to it. You gotta, it's, it's not gonna continue to happen until you get married and you settle down with that one. So I'm gonna guess and say broken heart syndrome is missing a person that you were truly in love with. I think, I think Dr. Delvina, <laughs> yeah, I've heard the term before and mostly I've heard it after people who've been married for a really long time, they lose their life partner. And so I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of it being grief. Um, okay. I think grief is the biggest part of what we, what we sometimes refer to um, as broken heart syndrome. And, and I think also too, a self-love practice allows you to have more resilience in the face mm -hmm. of those kinds of traumas, whether it be mm -hmm. broken heart syndrome or any other challenge that you go through in life that might seem to rock your foundation. That's right, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other questions? Uh oh, we can't. I, I do have a question, on... Wayne. We can't hear you, so I'll jump in with my question. This is for everyone on the panel. This is from Paige Rice. How can we free ourselves? of the need for approval from others. Wow, why, why don't you start with that one, Mark? It goes back to self-love again. You have to know who you are, know your value, know your worth. Um, it, it, to, to me, once you know who you are and the value that you bring to anything, you don't need anybody's approval. You know, just continue with those self-affirmations, applaud yourself, reward yourself, love yourself, but more importantly, value who you are. And no one's approval means anything. It's all about who you are and what you want to do. Anything you want to add, Dr. Delvina? No, I think he said it perfectly. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Wayne, are you back with us? Yeah, I'm back with you. All I right. Cut what you got? Cut myself off there. But... <laughs> He's mad. He back. cut himself off. <laughs> cut myself off. But that's okay. <laughs> Yvonne, Yvonne had a follow-up. She said, Mar married couples often die within days of each other. It mm -hmm. might not be a diagnosis, but it happens. Oh, so, yeah. 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 Agreed. And I guess she's yeah, referring agreed. to that. Okay. Agreed. All right, Lai, you got another one? I don't. I actually was going to throw it back to Dr. Mel because we have we have some statements, Dr. Mel, but I know you had some more questions. So I'm going to let you pull out some of your questions. Absolutely. Well, one of the questions that I had was for Dr. Delvina. I know that you have sort of a multimodal practice, a lot of different things that you bring to bear. What are some of the other aspects of your practice um, that you other than than psychotherapy that you might use in terms of helping individuals work on self-love? Yeah, so we have a wellness spa. Uh, we have two offices. The main office is our basically, well, most of it's virtual now, um, but the main office is medication management and psychotherapy. And in our wellness spa, we do facials, we do massages, we have a weight loss course that people can can go through they can sit and speak with a, a wellness coach um, we also do laser hair removal for a melanated skin because there's not a lot of clinics that are removing uh, you know people of color successfully removing their hair um, so instead of waxing and shaving you can we use a laser that's specific for our skin 
Um, and we also do, we offer CBD products and we are certified to provide medicinal, uh, medicinal cannabis certifications as well. Wow. Okay. That's, that's, that sounds like a one-stop shop. <laughs> hey, um, Dr. We Dr. want it to be. Yes, absolutely. Mark, you were about to yeah, say. Dr. Davina, can you explain to the people who are on this call what is psychotherapy? Because you, you use the term quite often, and I don't think the audience may truly understand what it is because people are used to hearing the term therapy, but you just threw a mm-hmm. whole nother term in there, psychotherapy. Right. I, I know that's, what that's it is. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, please go ahead, Dr. Delvina. Yeah, it's it's the official. It's the official way to regard therapy um, because, you know, there's different types of therapy. There's physical therapy um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, psychotherapy. Those are kind of the two most common that we refer to as therapy. Um, psychotherapy, obviously, it's based in the brain and there's different types of modalities of psychotherapy. And just like there's different modalities you can engage in, there are different types of specialists who are qualified to conduct psychotherapy. So I think that's one of the things where people get confused too, is they don't know how to access care because they don't know who to go to. It's kind of confusing. Back in the day, we had just psychiatrists, you know, folks like myself, a physician who um, is qualified to prescribe medication and also conduct psychotherapy, whatever modality that may be. And we also had psychologists. Psychologists have PhDs or PsyDs. They have graduate education, so they go to college like a physician would. But instead of going to medical school, they go to graduate school. And they study, you know, they do a lot of research. They have to do certain tracks to become a clinical psychologist because not every psychologist is qualified or trained to conduct psychotherapy. And then you have the master's level uh, psychotherapists, AKA counselors, AKA therapists. Those are folks like your licensed clinical social workers. And anyone can pursue a graduate degree and have the title DR in front of their name. Someone can graduate college and go to graduate school and get a master's degree and a PhD in English and be Dr. So-and-so. So just because someone has DR in front of their name, you can't assume what mm-hmm. their credentials are or what they're a doctor of. Um, licensed clinical social workers can go beyond their master's level and get a, a PhD in social work and be a doctor of social work. Um, we also have licensed mental health counselors, LMHCs. They are also, and they have, they're on a master's level. Um, there's also licensed marriage and family therapists. You can become an LMFT with a master's level. Some of them will go beyond that and become sexologists or become a specialist in, in sex therapy. So there are different uh, specialists, different uh, clinicians who can conduct psychotherapy. The biggest difference between all of us uh, would be that psychiatrists are physicians. So we're trained in medicine. The basis of our knowledge is medicine. We go to medical school. We can prescribe you know, prescriptions for anything, not just in psychiatry. Um, and as Doc mentioned, we are certified in psychiatry and also neurology. So psychotherapy is a very specific professional way of working with a person's brain, their emotions, their feelings, their behaviors, and their thoughts 
to try to create a change in their life to make them just feel better. Some people are depressed every day. Some people are blue every day. So they may go to psychotherapy to deal with that. Some people have traumas in their past. One in four women have been sexually abused or raped or molested. And so some folks, when they finally want to receive deliverance from that trauma, they may seek psychotherapy to deal with those issues. What's up, guys? So I just want to remind you about the ways you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Delvina at Dr. D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. I no longer have a Dr. Delvina Twitter or a Dr. Delvina Facebook professional page. Both of those were unpublished. Um, I won't get into the details of that, but um, instead of following Dr. Delvina on Twitter, follow the office Twitter page, which is, which is DRT. Brain Love, D-R-T, Brain Love, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E, D-R-T as in Dr. T, D-R-T. And on Facebook, you can follow the Brain Love podcast. And of course, if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me at Dr. Delvina. And my website is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Shorten, D-R, and then Delvina, D as in Delta, E-L-V as in Victor, E-N-A dot Help, H-E-L-P, as in help me, help me, Dr. Delvina. And um, tell your friends, tell everybody about the Brain Love Podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe either on Pandora, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on Anchor, subscribe on Anchor. Show me some love, y'all. Show me some love. That's right. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.